If I quit my job and play footy, we would be evicted because we wouldn't have an income. And if I quit footy and play my job, we still get to pay the bills. So it was probably one of the hardest decisions I've ever had to make, but it was kind of like a forced made decision. Like I had to do it because family's got to come first and footy just doesn't pay the bills. Hi friends, and welcome to Uninterrupted. I'm Jackie Mooney, editor of Women's Health, and it's my pleasure to bring you another jam-packed episode of Life Inspiration. Today we're talking to activist, AFLW trailblazer and all-round legend Moana Hope. I first heard about this Melbourne-based game changer when she blazed a trail on the footy field as one of Collingwood's first marquee players in the new league. Three years later, I was lucky enough to finally meet her in person on the side of a packed street at Taylor Square in Sydney as guests at the same Mardi Gras party earlier this year. As music blared, confetti rained down and thousands of people streamed past in the parade, what struck me immediately was how much love there is out there for her. So when I heard she had time for a chat, I couldn't speed dial her mobile fast enough. Today, we get super honest about life, love, large families and her secret love of high tea. Moana, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. No, no stress. It was really, really good to finally meet you in person in Sydney the other month after, you know, many years, obviously, of following you on um, the footy field. And I was lucky enough as well to meet your new wife, Isabella, that weekend too. And I've got to say, meeting both of you guys, you're such a beautiful couple and, and so obviously very in love. So I wanted to ask you straight up, um, how is married life going? It's the same as it was before we were married. How we're, you know, just I'm very lucky to have met somebody like her. She's quite a beautiful, unique individual. And I always am fascinated to know how people meet each other. So how did you guys meet and how did you really know when you met her that this relationship was a really different and special one? It's so funny because every time someone asks me, I normally do say Tinder just to see what people will say. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's, um, it was actually after my first AFLW season, I was at a birthday on Chapel Street and she, she came in the place and came up to me and <laughs> she came up to me and we were dancing and she tried to kiss me and I didn't let her. Um, cause I was just like, at that stage, I was like, I'm going to be single forever. I'm just, you know, like, because I unfortunately had some experiences. People just wanted to hang out for the wrong reasons. So I decided single life. And then, you know, she went away, came back. And I was like, okay, I like your patience. Patience is good. And then, yeah, so we kind of kicked it off from there. And then we just became inseparable from that day. And I know that when you guys first met, same-sex marriage wasn't legal in Australia yet. And, you know, this is an issue that's very close to my own heart. How do you feel now that Australians quite rightly have the right, like anyone else, to marry whoever they want, which is how it really always should have been? Yeah, I'm just so disappointed that we don't get to vote for straight people. Uh, <laughs> Seeing how we were a vote, like we didn't matter and it was up to everyone else to decide. I thought that was insane and disgusting. Yeah. You know, but I would have loved her the same way either way. It just feels so much better now that I think, you know, having it legalised, it just now is it's not a, a, a hidden away scary thing for people to talk about or think about or kids to know that there is gay people. So I think that it's opened up a door that was meant to be open a very long time ago. 
And I know you guys have been very open about the fact that you would um, love to have a big family and that you guys are currently doing IVF. So what are your hopes and dreams for your future children that you might have? Well, I'm one of 14 and Belle's one of two. Wow. So I've told her that I want 12, but um, <laughs> I think we're starting a bit late. Uh, I'll, forever, as long as I can remember, I've always wanted a family, like my own little family. And, yeah, we are working through it at the moment with Monash IVF. And we've had a couple of attempts and we're, we're still going on to see, you know, what our future holds. But we're excited. Like she's going to have the first one. I'll have the second one and then she'll come back with a third. I'm convincing her on the fourth at the moment. We're working on it. Um, but at the moment we're locked on three. Well, maybe you guys could meet somewhere between like two and 12. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine with that. Like I reckon 11 sounds good. But, Negotiations. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, unfortunately there is still some ignorance out there. What would you say to people who just can't seem to open their mind to all the different definitions of family we now have in the world? I think it's really crazy that there is still homophobia, there's still racism, there's still all these things that are a problem. Like if I cut myself and you cut yourself by accident, of course, we both bleed red. It doesn't mm. matter where you are in the world, you bleed red, you know, and if you're fortunate enough to find someone to fall in love and have a family and you're able to love your kids, that's pretty bloody amazing. Uh, and it shouldn't matter who you fall in love with and what's, what sex they are. It should just matter that you're happy. And there always is going to be um, the homophobia dinosaurs because, you know, back in their day it was, I'm guessing, pumped into them that it was, you know, not a thing and, you know, anti-gay. But now it's like once those dinosaurs are gone, kids can see that, you know, love is love and it will eventually phase itself out. And you mentioned just then that you grew up in um, a very large family. What was that like? Crazy but awesome. So we grew up in a really, really, I would say, awesome suburb. Others probably not so much. But we grew up in Broadmeadows. Mum's still in the same house, two-bedroom house, yeah, it was like all of us kids in one room, mum and dad in the other room. We had like five bunks, head to toe. We had some crazy times, but it was unbelievable. You quit school at quite a young age to take care of your dad who was fighting cancer at, at that time and, and sadly did lose his battle a couple of years later. Did you have to step up and help take care of your siblings? I, I imagine that must have been pretty difficult. Yeah, I think also at that stage, mom, my mum, who's an absolute angel, she uh, had, there was 19 of us living at the house because she had taken on some other kids as well. So she was like working night shift to put food on a table and, and we'll just scrape them by. And that's my mum. Like my mum is just unbelievable. So when you've got a woman in your life like that who, you know, never gave up, never, you know, never quit on us, never threw the towel in, never said it was too much. It's something that, you know, I was just like, yeah, like if I can help my family, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do the best that I can to bring them along on my journey with me and be there for them. And, you know, I still I take care of my mum 100% um, and take care of her health and her medical bills and all those things. And I'm very proud of that. And does she still live close by you guys locally? Yeah. Yeah. She only, she still lives in the same house. She's been in the same house for like 40 years. Um, it's a housing commission house. And I just live like 10 minutes away. Family seems to be so incredibly important to you. You know, you are 
the full-time carer for your sister, Vinny. And I've got to say, I only know her through Instagram. And that girl <laughs> seems like a legend. I love that girl. Like on the treadmill, early hours, getting it done. Like, I don't know, she just brings me joy. And I've only, I only know her through Instagram. And I, I've read a really beautiful thing that you said you knew Isabella was the one when she first met Vinny. What is their relationship like? Yeah, so that was uh, hard. like for me when I met Val, it took me maybe two weeks before I'd introduce them because I was very protective over Vinny and, and very unsure. But I remember that the first time they interacted, I was like a mix of in between jealous and happy because I was jealous. I'm like, that's my relationship, don't do that, as in with Vinny. <laughs> you know, Vinny's mine. But they got along so well that I was just like, oh, my God, this is unbelievably amazing. But at the same time, Vinny only loved me. Um, <laughs> and now they're just, you know, Vinny calls Bell mum, which is beautiful. And um, it's so funny wow. you say that because you watch it on my Instagram. I get messages every day of someone going, okay, I love your story, but update with Vinny, please. Update with Vinny, please. <laughs> um, and I, everyone's like, make her an Instagram. But I, I think that with with what's happening on social media with trolls and, you know, yeah. um, bullying and bashing, it's not something I want her to see ever. She has the most kindest, purest heart the world will ever see. Yeah, and I never, like ever it. want anyone to tamper that. And um, last year, you know, like a lot of people, I was so upset to see that, Vinny's school was closed down and there was cuts and you were very outspoken and you wouldn't take no for an answer because that was obviously so important to her to get that school remaining open for her and her friends. So how is Vinny liking school? Is it all okay now? Like that must have been a really hard time. Yeah, it was really hard. It was really hard because, you know, when you've got an organisation that's, uh, you know, a non-for-profit who you know, had $24 million a year, if you find their financial report, and then they close it down with no uh, no other notice other than in three months we're done. And then her and her 94 friends are like, what do we do? Not even them, their family, because they didn't even understand it. And when you have somebody with special needs, they need to transition. And transitional period from based on the, um, the studies that done, it takes a minimum of six months, not three. Mm. And then they've got to find somewhere. And because of the NDIS and the government, they keep shutting down all these special needs places. Um, there's nowhere to go. You've got to get in line. You've got to go on a wait list. You've got to hope that someone takes you in. So that now that they they have nowhere to go, they're quite literally just stuck at home. And then you think about parents who are carers that work. What do they do? So there's so many things that came into it. I was just so disappointed in the organisation to decide to close it with actual no, no real reason as to why. Um, I that was the reason why I was so passionate and you know upset about it. Like if if the school got taken away or something like that happened, then okay, I would understand. That there was no real reason. So what we ended up doing was we just start, I started a brand new school for them, and she's going there at the moment with all of her friends. All of her friends went there. Um, we tried, tried, tried to get help from the government. I got nothing, absolutely nothing, no response, no nothing. So just work with some pretty awesome people, um, work crazy, crazy, crazy hours and made it happen within three months. Yeah, it's amazing. And, you know, there must be so many people in a similar position caring for members of their family. What do you think the government needs to do to kind of make it better for those families? 
<laughs> Don't get me started on what the government needs to do. <laughs> Lots of you things. Know, the, poor, the poor are getting poorer and the homeless are getting more and more. And, you know, the elderly quite literally getting beat up and the disabled are being left out onto the street. So, you know, they just need to take care of the people, do their job. That's what they need to do, do their job. Like, you know, if anyone comes in or is going to come in eventually, I just hope they take care of the people that actually need to be taken care of. And, you know, stop with all the all the BS that, that, you know, is always spoken and then the little people get forgotten about because, you know, you go through the city, look how many homeless people there are. Mm. You know, you look on the news, you see the elderly people that are getting beat up in homes and that's all they can afford. And you look at special needs, all their schools are getting shutting down all over, the, all over Australia. They're just getting shut down one by one, but no one's not saying anything. So it's just, it's just not good enough. You have come to the public's attention through your sport. Certainly that's where I, you know, first noticed you playing for Collingwood and, you know, you've been able to use this um, platform to speak out when you can. So I guess I just wanted to ask you a little bit about um, your sporting background and if sport was something that you were always really passionate about throughout your life or was it a more recent thing? Oh, no, I've played football since I was seven. Well, I've wow. played for a team since I was seven, but was kicking a football since I was three. You know, that's something I would do every day before and after my home chores at home is because we'd all have chores. We had a whiteboard of chores, um, is kick the footy in the hallway, at the backyard, at the front yard. As soon as I was old enough, I was playing with the boys. I played against the boys until I was 12. And then there was no girls teams. It was only three women's teams in the division, uh, three or six. So I jumped straight into a women's team from the age of 13 represented Victoria from the age of 16, played for Australia from the age of 18. So I was in love with sports. I even played cricket for Victoria. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, I played cricket for Victoria under all the way up into under 19s and then they made me choose between that and footy and I chose footy, which is insane. So I actually went to the cricket 2020 game the other week and I seen the lady who was our manager for under 19s and I'd never been able to afford any cricket clothes or cricket kits and the lady who managed me back then went and somehow paid and got me it and I still remember to this day who she was and what she got me and I was so grateful I got to see her because I was just so thankful for what she did for me back then. And um, it's quite crazy because, like you say, there's so many dual athletes out there. You know, Elise Perry, I think people forget, you know, she played for the Matildas back in the day and she had to make a choice as well, you know, and ended up playing cricket. It's been a whole different world for women in sport and thank goodness there is, you know, a league now. What do you think needs to change for, you know, women in sport to be paid what they're worth and and for them to be full-time players like their male counterparts? I just think they just need to be paid to train. Mm. Um, you know, if, imagine if the girls could train. Okay, all the girls work full time and they play AFLW. They got to perform like full time athletes, but train like casual athletes. They get paid like the highest paid players twenty nine grand. The lo- lowest paid males two hundred and fifty grand. You know, the lowest paid females like two grand or something. Mm. So. Think about that for a second. But then you get, you're getting judged like the million dollar footballer. And people are saying, oh, women can't play. Like it's not up to the scratch of the men's. We don't want to be the men. 
Like it's not what we want. The men are amazing on their own. We are in our league of our own and it's amazing football and it's so good. But if you don't pay the women what they deserve so they can train, you're not going to get the productivity that you want and they're not going to be able to play at their fullest potential. So we just need to talk about equality here and pay the girls what they deserve and let them train and let them play at their fullest potential. And it must have been incredible, you know, it was such a history-making moment to see that Women's League come to being back in 2017 and I know you had to make a difficult decision last year to pull out of the draft. Do you hope to return to AFLW one day? Oh, man, I would love to go back, absolutely. But, you know, I made that decision because of a lot of stuff going on in life and it was either quit my job and play footy or play footy and quit my job. And if I quit my job and play footy, we would be evicted because we wouldn't have an income. And if I quit footy and play my job, we still get to pay the bills. So it was probably one of the hardest decisions I've had to make, but it was kind of like a forced made decision. Like I had to do it because family's got to come first and footy just doesn't pay the bills. Mm. So, you know, for me it's like, you know, depending on where my life is at the end of this year, you know, I'd love to go back. I'd love to pull the boots on. Like I had massive FOMO watching the girls this year. Yeah, it's just, it's pretty wild that, you know, women end up in this situation still. And I know, you know, a job is a job, family is family. You know, I agree, family has always got to come first. And I know, you know, one of the the things that I loved when I watched the Australian story um, with yourself and Susan Alberti, who is somebody that I just look up to so much, was that just if people come together, they can definitely change things. So, you know, what was it like, that experience of, of meeting such a game-changing woman in life and, and sport? Oh, what Susan Alberti has done for women's football is is more remarkable than anybody will ever understand. I still don't understand how the premiership or something is not named after her. You know, that woman funded women's football when no one wanted nothing to do with it. That woman single-handedly paid for the exhibition games. You know, she did that. She just wasn't she wasn't doing it just because it's a business and she gets some kind of kickback. She did it because she truly believes women deserve the right to play football and she believes in us. Um, you know, and when you've got someone that fights for, for women like that and fights for equality, it's pretty powerful. And, you know, even though she introduced me to high tea, which was the best day of my life because high tea is delicious, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and she's just, we are the unlikely best friends, but we are. And she's, you know, somebody who I can call upon at any time. And, uh, you know, Susan Alberti is somebody many people look up to. Have there been other incredible strong women in the, in your life that have been sort of mentors or a real inspiration to you? Yeah, I've always, um, you know, I was kind of went a lot, you know, I spent a lot of years with um, Nikki Graves who was one of the assistant coaches at Colton recently, recently and also a football operations manager. She was amazing for me growing up. Um, you know, I remember she used to pay for my footy fees and help me pay for things just to get through. Um, and I don't mean growing up as a kid, I mean as an early adult. Um, you know, she helped me get my first job. She did a lot of things for me, not just on the field, but off the field. And, you know, she's just somebody that I absolutely loved. And other than that, my mum. I don't think I can get strength from anyone else the way I do from my mum. And what do you think is one of the most valuable things she's taught you about life never give up it's just that's just what I see from her just resilience like she's never ever given up no matter what she's confronted with she just goes at it and hits it head on and you know I think like I said earlier she you know brought was raising 19 kids alone that's insane 
time crap. It's but she didn't. She never quit, and even now with the health battles and everything that's going on, she just never ever gives up, and that is just. That's my mum. Yeah, it's incredible. Like hearing that, I actually wonder what I'm doing with my life. (laughs) (laughs) That's incredible. What a woman. Yeah, she's pretty awesome. And, you know, other things that are going on at the moment, you know, obviously there's lots of things happening in the world and, you know, it's a crazy time. And I guess at, at the moment as well, something that is topical and that is happening as we speak is, you know, Survivor All-Stars, which I guess we've <laughs> got to talk about completely 180 here. You know, you pretty much got married and went on to that island. What was that like? Yeah, so I got married on the Saturday and then flew out on the Wednesday. So I had my honeymoon just without my honey. So not only did I get married and run run away to play the game of Survivor, but, you know, Belle's mum was, you know, at that stage diagnosed with breast cancer. Vinny's school was being finished setting up. My mum had medical appointments. There was so much I left in Belle's hands for her to deal with that not one person should ever have to deal with alone. So, you know, that's why when I played the game and and every day that I felt like things were getting too much, I remembered that, you know, she's back here, mum's back here, her mum's back here, everyone's back here fighting. I have to win this for them because it will change our lives. And what do you think's the most important thing the crazy game of Survivor has taught you? Honestly, like when I came back, I was like, oh, man, I'll worry about work too much, you know, like because I'm up, normally up at 5 a.m. I don't finish till 11 p.m., you know, going away and being away that long and being, you know, disengaged from work and having nothing to do with it. It's like it didn't go away. It's still there. Um, and it kind of also like it's the little things. It's like the, oh, my God, like, you know, it's the little things I get excited for, you know, like over there you eat rice for breakfast, you don't get to have like, oh, do I want avocado on toast or, you know, it's like it's the little things that make you go, okay, you know, you don't need those things. You've got you've got life. You've got, you know, it's just it just makes you, um, brings you back down. And you know what, I think that it's a common theme, you know, right now as we speak all this craziness is going on around the world with the coronavirus and, you know, there's lockdowns, like things we all took for granted, like the smallest things, like going to get a coffee. I don't know, maybe this crazy time is going to lead to some good things of us being a little bit more appreciative and not taking everything for granted. Yeah, I think one of the things, uh, you know, I hate the coronavirus and I am feeling for anyone whose family's been um, affected by it um, because it's horrendous. But I love that the planet is somewhat benefiting from it you know you look at what happened to the um to the what's happening to the waters and what's happening to the you know the things that are happening from not so many people being out and about in the streets is what our planet needs as well and then also you've got to actually sit down and spend time with your family which Mm. you know for a lot of people who work a lot probably never happens so it's probably really good for some people just to be able to have some downtime with family And I know your biography was published in 2017. It was actually called My Way. Have you always done things your way? I have. And the reason why, (laughs) I have, absolutely. And the reason why is, um, the reason why it's called that is because when my dad was, he was about four days off from passing away, he knew he was going to pass. And I remember I was sitting in the lounge room and he was in his room and he was crying a lot. And he asked to speak to my older brothers and sisters. And he kept, he kept saying, I regret it. I regret it. And regret not spending more time and regret not because he worked 
at night while mum worked in the day before he passed away. So, you know, he didn't get to spend a lot of time. He had a lot of regrets from those kinds of things. And then, you know, his song was My Way, you know, Robbie Williams, I did it my way. So for me it was like no matter what I do in life, I'm going to do it my way because if anything ever happens to me, touch wood, I really want to know that I live life the way I wanted to live it, not how Peter or Sue wants me to live it. And I think that, you know, we're all unique for a reason, just be you, and that's why everything's always my way. Yeah, it's a pretty good message. I think we should all kind of take that to heart right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I know you and Isabella were actually on the same floor as Who magazine and you guys were both in their Sexiest People shoot, um, which is a huge <laughs> issue every year. How was that doing that photo shoot together? It's so funny because when they were like, oh, my manager called me and goes, hey, um, who want you and Belle to be in the Sexiest People? And I was like, no way, that is so cool. <laughs> um, so it was crazy. Like I don't. I never looked at us and go, we're the sexiest, but um, I'd say we're pretty, like, we're the funniest, but um, it was a good experience. It was really cool. The shoot was fun. But, yeah, like, and we were a same-sex couple. I think that's pretty epic. Yeah, and it's an epic and it's an epic issue. They were epic shots. And, oh, no, yeah. how good were the shots? Like, I thought, yeah, they're cool. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful. And, you know, if you had a life motto, we've talked about a lot of things today, what would your life motto be? I think it would just be, um, I think I'm going to go back to my way because yeah. it kind of is my life motto. I think that unfortunately a lot of kids these days are getting caught up on who they think they have to be and, you know, uh, what what they think they have to look like to be someone or be something or be important or be accepted. But, you know, every single person where is born, even identical twins, have something different about them for a reason. We don't need to be clones of each other. Just be you and and bring out your beautiful uniqueness because I think that's really important. And where we've talked about heaps of things today, you know, where do you hope to be in, say, five years, both personally and professionally? Healthy and happy. That's it. I don't have any ambitions to be a millionaire. If I'm healthy and my family's healthy and happy, that's something you can't buy. So for me, it's just like healthy, happy. I'd love to have my four kids by then working working on the fifth, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, and my biggest goal in life is to buy a house so, you know, that's something I've dreamt of and um, I want to take care of my mum as well. So if I can do a couple of those things, I'm, I'm doing all right. I reckon you're doing all right too and you know what, I think that is such a, a nice note to end the chat on today. I've loved talking to you. So, you know, thank you so much for the, taking the time and for sharing a bit of your life with the women's health audience. We really appreciate it. No, thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for listening to Uninterrupted. We'll be back in a fortnight with more.